listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are in week three of a series called TikTok Taught Me. I hope that you've been encouraged by this series. It's, it's intended to be some fun because, you know, we're using the TikTok messages, but I also want you to be sure that, like, you're getting something big. And I've seen your posts. I've seen the text messages. I've talked to some of you personally. And it really seems like God is speaking to you and you're being heavily impacted uh, with this specific uh, sermon series. I want to encourage you, like from, from last week, we talked about development. I want to encourage you that y'all development, while it's difficult, it's absolutely worth it. Okay? I, I want you to be better today than you were yesterday. And that should be your goal. It shouldn't be to be like somebody else, but for you to be better than you were yesterday. So kill those demons. Let go of the past. Forgive. Forgive. Like, like let who you know you should be have more influence on your life than who you've been. That's what we're after. The world needs who God made you to be. Okay, there is a version of you that God sees in his mind. And the world needs it. And the reason we know the world needs it is because he caused you to be born. If you're breathing air right now, God needs you in this earth for a specific reason and purpose. Now, I hope all of us want to become who God created us to be. I hope all of us that that's a focus. But I think sometimes we get bogged down in the fact that we know ourselves good, bad, and ugly. And we can be so hard on ourselves over it. Come on, man. Am I the only one that looks in the mirror and sometimes wonder, like, why in the world would God even mess with you, dude? Because, like... You know you messed up, man. You have bad thought processes sometimes. You fly off, the, you know, you, you have anger sometimes. Like, am I the only one that ever looks at myself and thinks, why in the world is God using me? Okay. We, we all know we fall short. Even when other people can't see what's going on. And because we see it every single day, we see every setback. We see every failure. I mean, some people might think you're the bee's knees, man. I didn't know bees had knees, but whatever it is. They may think that you're the most awesome human being that's ever lived when they're looking from far. But you know deep down in yourself, like, I'm a train wreck. Why do you keep saying I'm awesome? I'm a wreck, man. And because we see that, we can be so hard on ourselves. And these, these moments, they can stop our own development in our lives. And they can get us to a place where we begin to have unfair assumptions about what we can become and even what God is capable of doing in our lives. Tony Robbins said this, you overestimate what you can do in a moment, but you underestimate what you can do in a lifetime. Man, isn't that so true? But you know something I think is amazing is that God cannot accomplish in your lifetime what he wants to do if you're unwilling to give him this moment. You need to give God this moment and then, hey, listen, the moment that comes after it, you need to give him that moment too. And then that moment, well, when do I ever have a moment? Dude, you're getting a moment because you're going to begin to live the life God's called you to if you let God have all of these moments. So in the process of becoming who God made you to be, be careful that you aren't so hard on yourself that you begin doing Satan's job for him. Guys, give grace to yourselves. Like, be nice. I mean, maybe even right now we need to do that. Let's just... Let's just have a little exercise real quick. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Okay, maybe now you just need to close your eyes and give yourself some grace. <laughs> this is the shortest message this preacher ever preached. Yeah. Say this, I'm sorry for being so mean to you. Just say it to yourself. I'm sorry for being so mean to you. Will you forgive me? And then say, I forgive you. And then say, God, I receive your grace. And then just say your name to yourself. Like, Jason, I give you grace. Open your eyes. 
Some of y'all needed that more than you knew. Some of y'all need that tomorrow morning. Some of y'all need that. Some of y'all, whenever the, the mess is hitting the fan and you don't know what to do, and you begin to have those self-destructive, internalizing thoughts, you need to just stop and say, hey, I, I'm going to give you some grace right now. Like, it's okay. I forgive you. Yeah, I know you just blow up at your kids. <laughs> They're crazy. I forgive you. Just give yourself some grace, guys. If Jesus were standing here in front of you, I bet you'd be nice to him. He's God's son. You'd be nice to God's son. You know what? The Bible says that when we make Jesus Lord of our lives, that we become children of God too. So if you're willing to be nice to God's son, that means you too. If you're willing to be nice, you're God's daughter. Be nice. Treat yourself with some kindness. In the process of becoming who God wants us to be, there's another factor that stifles and even stops development. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that is isolation. Isolation comes from the Latin isolatus that means made into an island. That word went from Latin to Italian to French. And by the time isolate got to English, it meant standing detached from others of its kind. Let me ask you a question. How many of you often feel detached from others of your kind? How many of you feel like you've never met your kind yet? <laughs> I'm a weird bird. You might be. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If there's one thing leaving high school has taught me, is that the weirdest people in high school somehow find the weirdest people in life and they're perfect for each other. So there's somebody out there for you. Amen. Come on, somebody. Independence is built into the American psyche. Did you know that? Um, we are rebellious by nature. Let me give you an example of that. If I were to tell you right now, it is a law. You cannot go out to eat after service. You go straight home and you cook your meal today. You cannot eat at home. Now, some of you guys are probably thinking, well, I'm going to eat anyway, so it don't matter if it's the house or the restaurant. Like, but a lot of times in, in homes, women are the ones that cook, and so... You ladies might be thinking, I don't think I like that at all. That, that little piece right there, that's some of your Americanism coming out in you, okay? It's some of that America. Come on, man. Y'all probably, if I actually told y'all that, y'all probably pull an American flag out of your pocket somewhere and start singing Lee Greenwood, you know what I mean? Like, we are very aggressive when our freedoms or our rights are challenged, Okay, And this ideology can be useful in that it pushes us to fight what shouldn't be, to explore, to expand, to innovate. But what might work for building a nation is a death sentence to your spiritual and emotional life. Okay, That isolation and independence is not going to benefit you when you're trying to build your spirit and your emotional health. Let's, let's watch a video about this called Stoke the Fires. There is no person you have ever met in your entire life who is an island. You see, we were created in the image of an almighty, eternal God who is triune in nature. That means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are co-eternal in perfect relationship with each other. And so as we are made in their image, we are called to live in community with other believers. You were not called to be an island in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know in American culture, there is this huge celebration of the Lone Ranger, the person who's doing everything on their own, who's doing life alone, but that is not the way of the Christian. The Christian is called to be in deep, tight-knit community with other people. You see, it's just like being in a fire. If you look at the little coals, the little embers in a fire, if they're near each other, they glow red hot for a very long period of time. And if you separate those coals, what ends up happening is they start to cool 
cool off. The same is true for you and I. In the Christian life, if you are near other Christians, the burning fires of their faith will stoke the fires of your heart. Amen. Do y'all believe that? I mean, some of us sometimes feel coldness in our spiritual life, not because God stopped talking, but because we've gotten away from other Christians. We've isolated ourselves from church for a season. Or somebody said something, we didn't like it, so we're going to give them a few weeks off because, like, I don't want to see their face. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and all of a sudden, we, we, we find ourselves in a spiritual funk. And the reason isn't because of some massive sin necessarily in our lives. It's because we've chosen to isolate ourselves and we have nothing else to keep the fires burning. Because let's be honest, do all of us actually dig into the Word and pray on a daily basis like you know we need to? Most of us don't. Life just is crazy and wild and busy, and we don't find time for that, which, again, that's a priorities issue for all of us, and we can have that discussion. That's a development discussion from last week. But at the end of the day, when you separate yourself from people that can encourage you and build you up, you do begin to cool off. Look at what Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 9, says. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for the toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Look, because we're naturally independent. And by the way, if you're a native Texan, like this is extra. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. If Texas seceded tomorrow... Y'all know we'd be Lone Star stating it, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, even when I go overseas, when I, people ask me where I'm from, I'll say I'm from Texas. I had a guy actually one time ask me, why do you always say Texas? I'm like, have you been to Texas? He's like, no, there's your problem. <laughs> like, yeah. We're, the, even the Texas thing, we have it doubly built up. But if we stay naturally independent, what happens is we apply that same mindset of independence into every area of our life. And we can find ourselves isolating from our spouse, isolating from our children, isolating from friends. This forces us into thought processes that encourage isolation. What does it do? It makes us internalize issues. It makes us rely only on what we have in order to overcome. And it makes us reject outside help. And, and then when we fail at effectively, at effectively fixing the issues that we're facing in our lives, we shower ourselves with negativity from within, and it can make us change how we view God and how we view God's people. The first step in this process is that we socially isolate. Now, I realize we just came out of a season where we were being forced to socially isolate from the government, which is insanity, okay? It's insanity. I still walk in places sometimes and see the little stickers on the floor that tell me where to stand. And so, because, again, I'm naturally rebellious as an American, I step in between the two so I can be like, there's one, there's me, there's two. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, just that built-in rebellion, you know? And, and, and I know whenever you see people wearing a mask, you, you think, okay, well, maybe they have some type of, you know, there's some type of immuno thing. But in my mind, I still think, what's that guy doing? See, that's one of them. They just, you know, like you go to that mindset. It can make you start going crazy. It changes how you view people. So we socially isolate. And y'all, I don't know if you know this, but it's horrible for you. Listen to some of the science on it. There's a lot of research that shows that being socially isolated is extremely unhealthy. It's actually been shown that social isolation increases your chance of death about the same as smoking cigarettes, having high blood pressure, or being obese. 
It's also associated with a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. And get this, mice that have been socially isolated do significantly worse in memory tests. Even in fruit flies, social isolation can reduce lifespan. So what's the lesson? Is the best way to kill a fruit fly is to separate it from its friends. <laughs> as silly as that is, you know what? The best way to hurt you is to separate you, to isolate you. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. This is written in the context of God about to create Eve because he knows that it's not good for Adam to be alone. But I want you to notice some things here. I want you to notice that, that it's not just good for you to be alone in, alone in terms of a spouse. Like there are single people in this room right now. And listen to me, it's perfectly okay to be single. We are not a church that says you've got to hurry up and get married so you can fit into the club. No, like it's, Paul was single, okay? He did pretty good. Two-thirds of the New Testament, it's pretty good. Um, so you don't have to be married, okay? But you can't be isolated. It's not good for you to be alone. That's one thing we read from this verse. Another thing that we can read from this verse that's kind of in between the lines is not that God wasn't enough for Adam, but God knew that in order for Adam to reach his potential, he needed another person. So you might just have the mindset that says, hey, me and Jesus, that's all I need. I hear you. All you need for, yes, you do need Jesus. But you know something else? God built you to make you need people to help you reach your potential, whether you like that or not. Okay? Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, uh, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, don't be alone, guys. I know preachers have used this verse for a thousand years to say, y'all need to get to church, okay? I understand that. But I want to tell you something. I am more concerned with your isolation than I am with your attendance, okay? And anytime somebody from the church calls to check on you, we're not looking down the attendance roll trying to figure out where you've been. We actually care about you, and we don't want to see you isolated. So if you're not here for two weeks, somebody's going to call you, man. I don't like that. Okay, but we're just trying to be family. We're trying to, we're trying to make sure that you don't get yourself in a place where you're isolated. You know, we're not always perfect on that. Like, I mean, they're, they're on average about two to, uh, two to 25 to 230 people that come to church every Sunday. And so we work hard to make sure that we're noticing people and seeing when somebody's out there. And we even have meetings and discussions about, hey, who did you not see this week? Let's talk about that. Why do we do that? It's because we don't want you isolated because we know what happens when you isolate. We know what the enemy does. The moment. Like the, it's like when the, when the cheetahs are chasing the wildebeest. They're not looking for one in the middle. They're looking for the one on the fringe. And if Satan can get you on the fringe, it's just 10 steps before he can get you down on the ground, biting at your throat. You've got a team of people here at Freedom that are working to keep you in the herd. I don't want you here because I'm pumped about attendance numbers or even worse that preacher just wants your money that's not why i want you here i know what happens when you get connected with god's people you get better brainstorm on how to encourage one another what if instead of coming to church and expecting to get encouragement what if you were thinking through the people that you're going to see today wondering how you can encourage them do you know why i'm on facebook i hate facebook like it is it's a train wreck, okay? I cannot stand Facebook. But do you know why I'm on it? Because I can see what's going on in your life. And it doesn't just give me a point of, of information to talk to you about when I see you. Oh, hey, I saw you do this. Oh, I saw you do that. It's more than just that. It's an opportunity for me to connect with you and for me to speak life into you. It's a way for me to brainstorm this week how, can I concur I, how I can encourage you next week. We should be doing that for one another, actively engaging with people. 2 Corinthians 
13.11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Guys, we've got to be unified. We, you can't comfort someone if you're not around them. It's one of the things you see with, 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 with kids when they're first born. One of the things they first do is they try to get the child as quickly as they can to the mother and put the baby skin to skin. Why is that? Because that little baby needs to feel the mother's touch. Okay? They need to. It's built into you to need people. The second step, other than socially isolated, that's the first one. The second one is that we begin to believe narratives about ourselves that aren't accurate. Have you ever heard the phrase that says, an idle mind is the devil's playground? Well, when there are no other voices in your life, yours is the only one you hear. And can you really sit here and be really dead honest with yourself and say that you're always 100% of the time super nice to you? You know, the meanest person I know is myself. Am I the only one? Hard on yourself? You make a mistake. And just, oh God, what's wrong with you? Some of you are like, no, I don't talk to my. I'm nice to myself. But God bless you. Praise God. I would love to, to do that, but there is something in me that, is, that God is still trying to work out of me. And just glass house with you all for a minute. God is trying to work that criticizing thing out of me where I'm constantly criticizing myself. God doesn't do that to us. Why are we doing that to us? You know who the accuser of the brethren is? It ain't Jesus. It's Satan. The Bible teaches that Satan is even before the throne now making accusations. Now, most of us don't want God to go, have you considered my servant Job? Like, shh, like, no, you keep that. I got enough to deal with down here, Jesus. Don't be telling Satan about me. But, but God, doesn't, God doesn't condemn us. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm just giving you two different Bible verses that prove to you that Jesus doesn't think about you like you probably think about yourself. Those narratives keep us from sharing because we don't want to reveal that we are as broken as we really are. While this happens with everyone, y'all, this is a pandemic in men. Guys, I want to talk to you for just a second. Women, you may not know this about men, but for men it's hard to share a lot of times what's going on deep down inside. Because we've been taught, if you cry, you're a sissy. You just stop being a wuss. Life is hard, get a helmet. You know, that, that's what we've been taught. You got a problem, deal with it. Everybody got problems, you deal with it, you know? And like, my goodness, some of y'all work at plants. Can you imagine some guy walking around with plants going, my wife yelled at me this way. No, they'd be like, dude, shut up and push the button before the plant blows up to smithereens. You know what I'm saying? Like, over here crying. Like, hush up. You got glass to install. You know, you got parts to sell. Hush up. I don't know. What t- what? Talk to your mama. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what guys are taught. And what happens is, rather than talking, what guys do is we just internalize and internalize and internalize and internalize. And at some point, men either blow up or they blow out. I saw this TikTok video this week, and it was perfect for this spot. I want to share it with you. And while I realize that everybody struggles with this kind of stuff, man, I want you to especially listen up. I read this quote today and it said, most men die alone in the isolation of their minds. And it it touched me. It it really, it got to me because I've been there. 
uh, men have been taught that for us to share our struggles, for us to share our burdens, for us to share the feelings that we experience makes us weak, makes us soft, makes us a failure, makes us sissies. And so in order not to lose love, to lose respect, to lose acceptance, we hide in the isolation of our minds. And our partners ask us, what's going on? Why are you this way? What's, why do you feel this way? Why are you, why are you so distant? It's because we're dying in the isolation of our minds. If you're a woman and you want your man to open to you, you have to be a safe place. You have to be a place where he can fall apart and put himself back together again with no judgment. You have to be a safe place for him to be seen in, in beauty and love instead of in disrespect and dishonor. It's a huge problem with guys. And you know what? I've, I've been to a lot of Tuesday night men's meetups. And I've never seen a guy open his heart and the guys across the table go, <laughs> it's Mary over here. I've never seen that. What you typically see is somebody across the table say, man, I know exactly what you're struggling with. I know exactly what's going on. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. I, th I think it's interesting that he says he's near to the brokenhearted. You know, sometimes brokenhearted people don't need a fix. They just need somebody to be near them. Sometimes the best thing you can do for a person is not to fix the issue, but just to be near them in the middle of their brokenness. If you're a man in here today and you're internally struggling, but you exter you're externally masking, I want you to know that you need a safe space. Brandon Browning is our men's director. He's a safe space. Tony, Edgar, Matt, Bubby. I'm just seeing some guys. Wes, these are guys, men's group every week. These are safe spaces. Freedom is a safe space. Tuesday nights at 6.30 is a safe space. But ladies, I'm not leaving you out either. Deborah Rupert's a safe space. Shelby is, Gwen is, Rachel, Mindy. There's safe spaces here. There are people here that are safe. Wednesday nights at 6.30, it's a safe space. What are we going to do on those nights? We're going to fight for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to challenge you. We're going to speak life over you. We're going to encourage We're going to do all these things. We're going to point you to Jesus. Because while we may be able to be near you in your brokenness, only Jesus can fix it. Okay? I can't fix the abuse that happened to you when you were 10 that's surfacing now in the season of your life. I can't go back in my time machine and fix that. But what I can do is I can sit next to you and I can speak life over you and I can hold your hand until God breaks through. At some point, we have to stop the cycle of isolation in our lives because the person God created us to be requires other people for that person to materialize. I don't want you to get lost on what this says right here. Isolation from people will stop the person God created you to be to become a reality. And some of us, we have not experienced who God's called us to be simply because we've not been willing to tell somebody what's really going on.
you may not have met who God created you to be yet because you haven't convinced because you've convinced yourself that you don't need anybody to help you. When the words of the orange man wrong, that's not how that works. You need people. Okay. So what am I saying? First point is this: you need a team. Every one of you, you need a team. Every single one of you, you need a team. Everything we do here at Freedom is with team in mind. We call it our structure. Team is our structure. Uh, what is a structure? That's the scaffolding upon which a building is built. Okay? Now, this is not always easy because it's so much easier to go faster by yourself. But listen, you go farther if you have a team. So you make a decision fast and quickly to your goal, or you can work with people and keep going for a long, long way. That's the choice, and that's why team is so important. You probably don't need a lesson on what a team is, but you might need to know what a team does. So consider this definition from this guy named Luke, I can't even say his last name, from Reverb Network. The team is a group of accountable individuals who leverage and discipline their unique strengths to fulfill a common mission by accomplishing specific goals. That's a good definition. You know, in our context, a team is made up of people who are accountable to each other, who disciple each other, who develop each other, all with the goal of being everything God created us to be. Let me ask you a question. Who's doing that in your life? Who's the person you're accountable to that disciples you, that develops you, and has the goal of helping you become everything God created you to be? Who's the person? If no one is, then Gilligan, get off your island. Okay? Let me lovingly tell you, get off the island. You need people. Okay, at Freedom, we say your team should be comprised of a small group of people who know you, know God, love you, love God, and have your best interests in mind. Why is that? Here's why. Because there are going to be moments in your life where you need someone to tell you what you're doing wrong, where you're stopping your progress, but also moments where they call greatness out of you and they speak life over you. And if you're not hearing that from someone who knows you, knows God, loves you, and loves God and has their best interests in mind, you'll not receive the discipleship and development that God is trying to bring through them. You'll look at them and be like, how dare you tell me someplace I'm going wrong? Why? Because it's outside of the context of them knowing you, loving you, knowing God, loving God and having your best interests in mind. Trust me, y'all, correction ain't easy, but it's worth it. I mean, come on, if you want to get better, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take discipleship. It's going to take development. That's what you get with a team. Look at Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at how the message reads it. It says this, At the time, discipline isn't much fun but it always, it always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time, for it is the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Remember, guys, this, this whole point, what you're doing even right now, being here at service, it's like you ever wonder why we go to service, worship, hear somebody yet for 45 minutes, and then we go home? Why do we do that? It's because you are trying to be more mature in Christ Jesus. Maturity is the goal. You aren't coming here because you don't have anything else to do on Sunday. You don't come to Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights because you really don't need the extra sleep. Uh, That's not why. You come because you want to get closer to God and you want to be matured and developed by other people around you. Listen, though, not all movement is maturing. Not all movement is maturing. Movement without maturity just ends up with you in a new spot, but with the same old problems. Luke 5, 37, 38. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst and the wineskins will be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. 
what am I talking about here? Old skin needs, uh, old skin to new skin requires you being developed, discipled, and for those things to produce maturity in your life. So when God pours in the new anointing, it's not all destroyed. Here's what that means. Some of you have not experienced the new wine of the Spirit because you're still operating in an old wine skin. So this is your encouragement today to allow yourself to be disciplined, discipled, developed, and to mature so that you can actually walk out what God has for your life. I got some good news and bad news. It's the same thing. It's going to take people to do that. It's going to take people. So how do you go from an old wine skin to a new wine skin? Well, you say yes to Jesus. You say yes to discipleship. You say yes to development. You say yes to the team that can help make those things come to pass in your life. Listen, nothing matures without help. Nothing. Not fruit flies, not you. So first you need a team. Second, though, is you need accountability. Accountability and team go together like love and marriage. When I wrote that down this week, I started singing love and marriage, love and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. Y'all know that song? All of a sudden, you want to go buy some shoes now, huh? Your feet are too big. Anyway, love is a huge part of what makes a marriage work. You're not faithful to your wife because it's the rule. You're faithful because you love them. In the same way, accountability is a huge part that makes teamwork. You aren't accountable because you have to be. You're accountable because you get to be. I, I get to be accountable to people. I sent a message yesterday to someone and told them, hey, I got a confession to make, this, this, and this, and this, and I just need you to get it off my chest. And they texted back, you sinner, I can't believe you're the pastor of that church, you loser. No, that's not what they said. They said, I feel you, bro. It's all good. God bless you. Let's keep moving forward. Now, by the way, I wasn't doing some nefarious, I wasn't like down worshiping the devil somewhere. Like It wasn't that... It was just a mindset that I needed to break. I get to be accountable. Well, they're going to know your business. They get to know my business. Why? Because I have other people looking in on my life to make sure I'm not doing something stupid that's going to destroy everything. I'm at a level of my life right now with the position that I have at this church that is terrifying. It's not just that I'm at the top of the authority structure. It's terrifying because my mess-ups are exponentially bigger now because of what it could possibly do to the church. I can't text people, uh, you know, individually. I can't be at Walmart and just wave at somebody. I got to be careful about everything I do. Why is that? Because my problems now, and when I was an associate pastor, a youth pastor way down the line, yeah, there were some problems. I, I, I could do something and mess up. But man, at this point now, I've got to really be sure I'm on my game because they're exponentially bigger. So, so I love having accountability in my life. I love it when my team comes to me and says, hey, bro, love you, but I saw this. Thank you. Like, I should be, man, we should be hugging. We should be buying them gift cards. We love them so much. That's what accountability does. But there's a huge kink in the armor of accountability, and it's super easy to exploit. Everybody right now, ask me how I'm doing. Man, I'm great, man. Praise God. Cloud, you know what? Cloud 11. Like, things are great. The kids are obeying. Yes. The wife is happy. Car notes paid. Man, things are great. Meanwhile, my marriage could be struggling. Like I hate my kids because of how mean and rude they are. And when I look in the mirror, I just see some moron who screws up all the time. 
but you told your accountability you were good. See how easy it is to lie? A lie can kill accountability on the spot. But if a lie can do that, what can the truth do? John 8.32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what if rather than lying so I didn't have to tell anyone what I was going through, instead I opened my heart and allowed someone else to help me? How would my life be different? Guys, I'm going to tell you right now that pain in your chest from keeping whatever it is inside is never going to go away until you open up to somebody about it. Opening up to somebody about it doesn't mean that you have to make public whatever happened. Okay, it's not like they're going to go stand on a box in the middle of the city. Let me tell you what Wes did. No, it's not, it's not going to happen. But, but what if in that moment where you told somebody the truth, what if there was freedom that came from that? The Bible says that's what happens. Okay, look at Galatians 6.2. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Look, some of us already feel like a burden. And the last thing you want to do is to take your burden and put your burden on somebody else so now that you're a burden to them too. But I'm going to tell you right now, your burden is not a burden to me. Okay? And the people that I've mentioned that are safe spaces, when you have a problem and you come to them, it's not a burden to them either. You know what you're doing whenever you come to us with a burden that you're bearing? You give us the opportunity to be like Jesus, to fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? unconditional sacrifice, sacrificial selfless love. That's what. You give me an opportunity to be a part of the healing that God wants to bring in your life. You know something else? The word bear in Greek, it's bastazete. You know what it means? It means to you bear. Not just, Paul says, oh, if, if, listen guys, if you've got time and if it's not too much, uh, can you help other people with their burdens? Like if it doesn't, listen, if it doesn't impact you too bad, if it's not too big of a deal, would no, it is, it is active, uh, it is a present imperative active word. What does that mean? It is a command. Paul is saying from God Almighty, he says this, you are to bear one another's burdens. Okay? So if you tell me what you're struggling with and you ask me to help you with it, you're not burdening me, you're giving me an opportunity to be obedient. You're giving me an opportunity to help. I don't have to fix your problem. But will you just let me hold a corner? Like I feel such, I feel such pain for some of you in here. Maybe some who's watched online. You've you've been carrying this junk for so long, and you've been you've been heartbroken over it, and it's been crushing you, and you can't do what God's asked you to do because you're too busy carrying this junk. I'm telling you, I'm. I, and God may have to correct me on this, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't think God has delivered you from that junk simply because you've been unwilling to let somebody else help you carry it. You've been asking God, help me, help me, help me, help me. And God's been telling you, connect with people, connect with people, connect with people, connect with people. You've been wanting John 8.32, and he's been trying to tell you Galatians 6.2. You want freedom, but you're unwilling to let other people carry your burden. Come on, let us hold a corner. You don't have to give the whole thing up. Just give me a corner. Some of you guys in here, you've been carrying this mess your whole lives. Me, Brandon, Tony, Wes, we'll grab a corner. Boom. We got you. 
Let us help. I wouldn't be afraid of someone knowing I'm struggling. I'd be afraid that no one knew I was struggling. That's what you should be afraid of. Okay? What does it say to you that you'd rather suffer in solitude than succeed with accountability? Here's, it says one of three things. It says either you don't understand the why behind a team. It says that you are believing a lie that you have to do it on your own. Or the third one, and this is the worst, you like the pain. Y'all, even Jesus had a team. Even Jesus knew that he needed help. Matthew 26, we see this. When Jesus, uh, and then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said this to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That word watch is very important. The word watch means to be vigilant, to be alert. Now, why is that? Maybe Jesus knew that they were coming to arrest him and he didn't want to get caught surprised. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoo, we're here. Like, maybe that's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Jesus knew they were coming. I don't know all the details of that. But for some reason, he wanted Peter, James, and John to stay awake and watch and be vigilant with him. Man, even if Jesus, like even Jesus knew he needed a team. He needed people to stay with him and to watch and to be vigilant. Even Jesus did. And if he did, how much more do we need that? How much more do you need somebody stationed at your rear guard looking at what's coming at you that you can't see? That's what a team does for you. Thayer's Greek renders watch like this. Be cautious, active, to take heed, lest through remissness and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. The team doesn't exist to know your business, y'all. It exists to cautiously, actively, vigilantly watch over you and help you mature in the purpose of God for your life. Let's watch this video about Gethsemane. Jesus fed the 5,000, but they all deserted him when he gave them the spiritual meaning of the bread. Twelve disciples stayed with him, but only three went further with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. And out of those three, only one was with him when he died on the cross. And no one was waiting for him to walk out of the tomb. The closer you get to your cross, the smaller your crowd becomes. Everyone wants free handouts to make their life easier, but as soon as you hold them accountable to walk in the truth, they're gone. You know who your true friends are by those who stick with you through the hard times. Many people want the things that Jesus can give them, but how many actually just want Jesus? Many want the promised land, but how many just want God's presence? So even if this world strips everything away from you, will you still seek Jesus? I'm not trying to punch anybody today, but that's a pretty intense gun punch right there. You know, I've said it before, I said it last week, I believe. If Jesus took everything away from you and you just had him, would he be enough? I hope he would be. You know, I hope he would be for you. Um, but I still can't discount the fact that if Jesus even needed people, he needed a team. You do too. And you know, this TikTok talks a lot about the fact that when things are hard for you, not everybody's going to be with you. Not everybody's going to stick it out with you, Okay. And here's why I want you to understand that the people who know you, know God, love you, love God, and have your best interests in mind, that's why those five characteristics are so important. Not everybody is going to be on your team. Not everybody, not all your thousands of TikTok followers or Facebook friends 
are going to be on your team. In fact, I would encourage you not to share all the details of your life with every single person you know, because not everybody you know knows him. And they'll send you some messages and speak death over you when they should be speaking life, but because they don't know you or they don't know him, they're going to say some things that they shouldn't say. You don't need to tell your coworkers everything about you. You need your team of people to do that. Okay? You don't need the hundreds of followers. It, your purpose and even your struggles, the cross you have to bear, all these things are going to limit the amount of people that are on your team. Okay? We don't need to get wrapped up in who's on our team or why some people are on one team, but they're not on my team. But rather than covet someone else's team, realize that God has a group of people specifically for you. They're going to help disciple you, develop you, and mature you. You know, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus in Matthew 28. But I don't think you get to the overjoyed G- Matthew 28 without the team that we find in Matthew 26. You need a team, guys. Let's look at this scripture right here, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down to the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew from Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the last one, is you need unity, Okay. You need unity in every area of your life. Marriage, work, family, all of it. You need it everywhere. And unity is more than just getting along. It's linking arms and moving the kingdom forward together, okay? But unity is not natural. It's something that we have to pursue. So that's why it's one of the core values here at Freedom. We pursue unity. We chase after it. Let's watch this TikTok video about unity. The Bible teaches us that there is power in unity and where two or three are gathered in my name there is power for miracles that is why you should not neglect coming to church that is why you can't do following jesus on your own you might be able to find him on your own you can't follow him on your own you need to be in the presence and the company of other believers because when we stand and we sing together we're in agreement and when there is agreement the power in the presence of god comes down that's it isn't it You don't come to church to get your star, baby. It's because you need to be next to people that are following Jesus like you're following Jesus. And you can be encouraged by them. We talked earlier how team kills isolation. But you you need a team, but there needs to be unity there too. Why? It's because unity adds strength. Okay, I can do a little bit of damage when I thump something, right? I can do a little bit more when my fingers all come together like this. But when my fist comes up, boy, it's about to get serious. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, pow, or I ain't Mike Tyson. But I can do more damage with a fist than I can with a finger. It's the truth. So, so whenever we get in unity, it's like when I get my, man, I'm struggling with something. And I get my team together. And all of a sudden, boy, we finna go at it. Some of you guys are like, yeah, let's do it, man. That's what you need. That's, you've got to have this. So when, you, when you're struggling and you send a little group me chat message that says, hey, this is going on. Can you all be praying for me? Spiritually, your fists just do like this. That's what they do. So don't be afraid to send that message. Ladies, y'all got a group me chat? Send it. If you're not on these chats, get with Brandon today and get with Shelby today. Let's get these things sorted so you guys can be a part of these teams. But the same goes when people come together. Genesis eleven six and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they will all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. This is when they were building the Tower of Babel. God looks down and says, They're all in unity. There's nothing they can't do now. 
So what would happen if instead of isolating and trying to do it all on your own, you got in unity with a team around you and allowed the Holy Spirit to change you into who God created you to be? What would happen? How would your life change if you decided, you know what, this isolation business is for the birds. I'm linking up with somebody that can help. But listen, when unity happens, the word promises in Psalm 133, God commands a blessing. So guys, when you come on Tuesday night and you get in unity, God commands a blessing. Ladies, when you come on Wednesday night and you get in unity, God commands a blessing. When you're having coffee on a Thursday, God commands a blessing. When you're having lunch on a Sunday, talking about issues, God commands a blessing. If the blessing starts when unity starts, I wonder what stops when unity stops. The the answer is everything. When there's no team, no unity, you start looking around and wondering why you're not fitting in. You start wondering if people are judging you. You start wondering if they can see through your disguise. You become critical and frustrated because you feel like you aren't getting what others seem to be getting. You know what the difference is? You're isolating. They ain't. At Babel, disunity destroyed the community. So what have you been missing by refusing or neglecting to engage with the team in unity? What's keeping you from embracing a team? What's keeping you from it? What's keeping you from getting into that structure and getting unity? Why do you need this? Here's why. It's because when people come together, they can achieve more than they ever could individually. We can do more together than we can ever individually. Okay? So, if you feel stalled, if you feel stuck, if you feel isolated, if you feel alone, guess what? You need a team. You do. If you feel neutral to this whole thing and you feel like you're fine how you are now, then I'm willing to bet that you haven't stepped out of the comfort of the boat enough yet. Maybe you haven't experienced something strong enough to get you into a place where you need somebody. If you feel connected and strengthened and encouraged and purposeful, I bet I know the reason why. And I bet it's because you have a team. So starting this team and unity process is not complicated and it does not require you to pour your guts out on day one. Okay, it doesn't. It doesn't require that. <sighs> Thank you for meeting with me. Now you may, you may do that. If you feel comfortable enough to do that, man, the quicker you get to that, the quicker healing starts, amen? But it doesn't require that. So as we wrap up today, let me give you three quick, simple steps. And all of this, remember, is on the Uversion app. Click events. It'll be on our website. It's on our social media right now. You'll be able to have every single one of these notes. But here's the simplest process. Number one, go to a meetup or start serving. Men, go to men's. Find your team. Women, go to women's. Find your team. Youth, go to youth on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. If you can't swing meetups because of work, join a serve team. Get in the group me chats. Link up with some of the people that I mentioned today. I can't come on Tuesday nights. Man, I work nights. That's fine. Get in the group me chat. Jump on a serve team. We've got a lot of play. We have, we have 24 unique opportunities on our serve team. I'm sure we can find something for you. You don't have to be in the nursery, okay? <laughs> Only muck babies. Well, number one, um, we're going to have you at the door, okay? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> the second one is find one person you can link up with. One. Just one person. And here's what you do. Start with hobbies. Start with interests. Okay? Don't go full on into, okay, uh, yeah, you were an alcoholic. Okay, cool. Let's link up. <laughs> calm down. Calm down. That's, that's day two. All right? <laughs> this is day one. Let's just find a person today. Oh, you like motorcycles? Cool. 
What kind of motorcycle do you have? I have a Yamaha. What do you have? I've got a Harley, of course, you know. Okay, well, did yours crank this morning? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Because it took like four times for mine to crank because it's cold. Okay, but, but the whole point is find a hobby or something you're interested in and talk to them about it. You work there? I work there. How come we never see each other? I'm on this side of the plant. You're on that side of the plant. Awesome. There's a link. God will use any link that you'll let him use to get you into a team. More godly relationships have been initiated by a hobby or interest than a prayer and a Bible study. Okay? And the last one is this. Engage. Once you find that person, take off the mask. It may take time. No problem. Okay? You might not find that person right away. It's perfectly okay. You might have been hanging out with that person for a couple weeks, and you sit down one day, you're like, I don't know if this is the one. Don't, don't tell them that. You don't want to create more wounds. But listen, if you feel like you can't find that person, talk to a leader. Hey, I've been trying to connect. I just can't find somebody to connect with. We'll help. We're happy to help. At the end of the day, you have to want the person God made you to be more than you want isolation. Will you bow your heads? You know, freedom, we're always here to help. Always. We, we want to help you become everything God created you to be. Um, and I realized a few things. I realized, number one, so many of you have been hurt so badly by people. And the idea of stepping into another opportunity to be hurt, that scares you more than isolation does. And let me just say, I understand. I understand. But just like God did a saving work in you when you said yes to him, I'm asking you right now to open up your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to heal the hurts inside of you right now miraculously in this moment. And then for you to embrace the opportunity at least to talk to somebody. The first step of that would be simply to come pray with somebody on our team right now. Our prayer team is going to come up to the front right now. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you would move on the hearts of your people. God, even in the room right now, it's like I can feel the pain of isolation that people are struggling with. So we just want to first off just say, Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. Rejection, isolation, we curse you in the name of Jesus the assignment that the enemy has scheduled against your precious people, God, we cancel those assignments by the power of the name of Jesus, by his blood. It's not by our words. It's by your blood and your anointing. God, and I pray that you would embolden your people, even in this moment. Give them the courage to reject isolation for just a moment to come and get prayer, to come and get help. God, I'm asking you to intervene. We thank you for it, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. That's your name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit FreedomDL.com. Thanks for listening.